Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books and Food, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Amir Sayadabdi, the host of the channel. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of talking to Professor Shelley Coe about her book, Food and Gender, A Critical Look uh, at the Food System, which was published in 2019 by Roman and Littlefield. Shelley is Professor of Sociology at Emory and Henry College in Emory, Virginia, with a specialization in gender, food studies, the environment, and consumer society. Shelley, thanks for accepting my invitation and welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Uh, to start off, Shelley, could you please tell us a bit about your uh, personal and research background, please? Yeah, so I'm going to have to go back to my youth, I guess. Um, it, that's really where my interest in agriculture started. Um, I was a city girl, grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, um, but my dad uh, grew up on a farm in western Nebraska. And my uncle still farmed um, when I was young and we'd go out there in the summers and I would learn how to set the irrigation and, you know, um, feed the cattle. And so I got to see, um, you know, a a small farm up close. Um, So I've always had kind of this love for um, for, uh, farming and and agriculture. Um, And... Going forward uh, many years, um, I also then found myself um, a young mother when I was doing my dissertation. And so I was in the process and it kind of in the throes of having to feed these young kids. Um, and that's where, you know, the, the impetus for my uh, dissertation really uh, came out of that experience of trying to feed, you know, young children. Um, and, and in the in the midst of working and working on a dissertation, so um, that's you know so so I guess what I'm saying is my experience kind of spanned um, several different areas of the food system um, and and kind of informs I think you know my perspective. I see. Uh, so there's a, there's often a, a story behind every book. So what's the story behind uh, this book? Uh, so yeah, the story is. Um, I, I, you know, there was a, there were several uh, 
people that are working in um, gender and food, but there was nothing that brought, you know, a, that scholarship together, you know, in, in a monograph form. And so um, I found, you know, somebody who would be interested in working um, on that project. And the Gendered Lens series, uh, I think, was really perfect for that because the premise is taking a topic, you know, usually a sociological topic and, and applying a gendered lens and a gendered perspective to see how that changes how we understand the topic. Um, and that's really what I was hoping to do um, with this project. Mm. So the book is titled Food and Gender, which is, you know, very straightforward, but at the same time also quite general, which I assume was intentional. And this uh, sort of generality also applies to the title of each chapter, which are titled, for example, Shopping, Cooking, Growing, Eating. What was the reason and the thinking behind this, uh, I assume, intentional generality? Yeah, so... Um... I, th I think first, you know, if you think about the titles of the chapters, you know, they're, they're verbs, right? So it's, um, it's, it's the active process of uh, working in that particular part of the system. So trying to understand this process and this meaning kind of the gendered process um, throughout these different areas, which seem to be, you know, maybe if you think about it, you know, diverse or, you know, don't overlap. Um, so trying to bring some continuity to our understanding of that system. And at the beginning of the book, you take a historical approach in order to draw a comparison between our current food system and a traditional uh, small scale agricultural system. How does this traditional system look like and how is it different with our current food system? Well, I have to admit, I'm fascinated by the hunting and gathering food systems. Um, you know, what we, what we know um, is, um, you know, for thousands of years, humans lived uh, as hunting and gatherers. And, you know, they were, you know, for the most part, from what, you know, um, anthropologists kind of both interpret the historical record, but also looking at some um, some of the few tribes that are left, you know, they met all their nutritional needs, um, you know, through that process. Uh, they were, you know, mostly healthy and um, they also didn't destroy their environment in the process. Um, so they found a way to live with that uh, within their, within their resources. Um, we also, you know, sociologists know that, and, and this is not, and I, I don't want to romanticize these societies, because I know that there was, um, there was, there was stratification, uh, but there was, you know, much less hierarchy and there was much less um, inequality. Uh, and, and women played a, a huge role uh, in maintaining the survival of these societies. Uh, and, you know, hunting tends to get the most press, you know, because um, I don't know, it's, it, it's, it's more active, but, you know, um, women, the gathering that, that mostly women did, you know, you know, provided 65 to 80% of the, of the calories for the, for the, um, society. So I just find those, that contrast with our industrial food system to be so stark, 
um, that it kind of br brings what we're doing into relief, um, meaning what we're doing in terms of um, destroying the environment, providing unhealthy foods, um, and you know, uh, growing and producing more food, um, but yet having you know in incredible rates of hunger um, globally. So it just makes us, you know, I think it, it turns the question on its head, you know, which, which society is more primitive, right? Or which society is, um, is less um, productive. So that's why I, I think it's an important place to start to provide that contrast. Indeed. And why is the uh, a gender analysis of the food system important? And as you note, uh, as you argue in the book, even necessary. And also, can we kind of analyze gender independently uh, from other factors such as class, age, race? Uh, I mean, I know we can, but should we? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really interesting question. Um, and, you know, I think doing intersectionality is critical and super important, but it's also really difficult um, to, to talk about, you know, um, you know, causal relationships, right? So that's really hard. Um, it's also, I want to suggest that often gender gets downplayed when we're looking at intersections um, because I, it just seems that there are, um, you know, race and class and age that, that you can point to and, and it's, you know, it's, it's easy to, um, to identify Gender is, is more difficult because it cuts through so many um, of these um, processes and, and um, relationships. And so this is what I, this is what I would say. Um, I do think, at least in what the research that I did, that um, gender is salient um, for at least three reasons. Um, and, and one is in terms of ownership and power. Um, if you look at all throughout these, the, the different parts of the food system, men and, and especially white men, and there's, there's an intersection, of course, um, are, you know, own businesses, own the land, own, um, you know, the, the financial resources that, that determine uh, what gets grown, how it gets grown, um, as well as processed, distributed, retailed, all of that. So um, men have um, an overwhelming um, position of power in the food system. It's also related to, you know, the connection between um, legislative power, you know, the state power as well, which tends to be still um, very male dominated. So I think, you know, just across the board, you can say that one of the issues, in my opinion, is the, the level of ownership, which is tied to how important, you know, that is in a, in a capitalist system, right, to have that ability to make those decisions. I think relatedly, then, um, it's women who are overwhelmingly in charge of the, the unpaid care work, right, that it takes to feed families um, and communities. Um, and, you know, who are often, you know, at the, the bottom of the um, uh, taking the kind of the low paid, um, low, low paid work in the system. Yeah. yeah. So um, 
So I, I think that's really important because um, it, it's probably tied to like the bigger question of how, you know, what, how do we change this? Well, to understand what this is, women are still in charge of the, of the, the, um, the caring, right? And often unpaid caring um, in, in the food system. The one thing that I didn't, the one thing that surprised me when I did this research, and it shouldn't have surprised me um, now that I look back at it, is the level of violence that women, mostly women, are subjected to um, across the food system. Um, so from, you know, farm workers to retail clerks to, you know, women um, in domestic situations, um, that that does that's that is where I think gender uh, is is much more salient. So in the first chapter of the book, Shelley, you discuss the production stage of food system or what you call uh, growing. And one of the main points that you raise with regard to growing or uh, to, to production is uh, what is a farm and who is a farmer or who, I mean, more accurately, who do we call a farmer? Why are these important questions and how are they related to gender anyway? Yeah, uh, so I guess this goes back to the bigger question of, you know, growing food to feed people. Um, and so who, who do we both give that designation to or who do we identify as growing our food? And then who do we give support to do that? Um, for. And so um, it seems to me that to be a farmer, you have to grow something to sell on the market. And in fact, the USDA determines um, a farm to count only if it sells at least $1,000 in, in um, agricultural goods. Um, so uh, if you get that designation, then you are entitled to some you know, tax deductions or different kinds of programs um, to help support that endeavor. Um, but what about the people that, you know, grow food in their backyard that also feeds um, themselves and their neighbors or, um, you know, that um, that you can give, give food away or um, it seems to me, why don't we also support kind of the, that subsistence growing um, and not just call them gardeners, right? Which sounds more like a hobby um, rather than a, a, a real, um, you know, a, a real endeavor. Um, so that's, I guess, the, the it, it hang, I think what, what we're going to do in the future hangs on that, right? If we want people to be able, if we want communities to feed themselves, um, we need to, to, change and think about um, who we want involved in that process. On the other hand, I also want to say um, that I, I get a little concerned when the nonprofits, um, you know, use um, programs to try to get people to grow their own food as solutions to uh, food insecurity or other crisis in the food system. Because not everyone wants to grow their food or can grow their food or has the time to grow their food. And especially when you think about how gender is salient in this, 
Um, if you're asking a single mother, um, you know, to take her time to grow food for her family, she's not going to have the time. Um, but then we just, uh, again, put the blame on the individual um, for not taking that, trying to do that kind of work. Um, so, I, you know, I think we we have to be careful um, how we use that. But I do think we should expand the, who can identify as, as a food grower. And I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. These are two-minute meals. Factor meals are ready to eat in heat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. They're flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math, and this is important. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com nbn50 and use code nbn50 to get 50% off. That's code nbn50 at factormeals.com slash nbn50 to get 50% off. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. This discussion of, you know, food production uh, or growing is followed by a discussion of distribution, or as you put it, shopping which uh, you've been studying and writing on for a long time, I believe. You, you actually have written a book about it that was uh, like a Bible to me when I was doing my PhD thesis. <laughs> uh, for those for listeners who may not be aware of this book, it's called A Theory of Grocery Shopping, so make sure to check it out. And uh, you note, Shelley, in the book that this aspect of food system, the shopping aspect, the distribution aspect, is uh, the least studied aspect of food system from a gendered perspective. Uh, first of all, what is the reason behind this lack of studies and what are some of these uh, gendered aspects anyway? Well, I assume that shopping is, I'm going to, I'll step back just a second. <laughs> when I told people that I was studying, doing grocery shopping for my dissertation, um, you know, I would get that look of, well, how, why is that important? How can that be a subject to study? I can't relate I think, to that. Yeah, right? Um, and I think it goes back to the way that it is, uh, you know, assumed to be just a woman's, uh, you know, what women do. Um, it doesn't take a lot of skill. You know, women like to do it. Um, so, you know, it, it's not something that is, taken seriously. Um, even though I'm sure we all know that there's so many, there's skill, there's time, um, there's all kinds of, um, important, um, you know, important, it's an, it's a very important job to, to, to bridge the market in the household. Uh, and so, um, I, I still think it's, it's a, probably a gendered reason why it's not, taken as seriously. Although I wonder now, um, and this would be an interesting conversation, I think, um, now that um, 
there is so much um, online shopping. And so you have people that are doing the actual physical work of, um, of assembling the, the products um, and who are also now getting paid to do that work, right? Where it was once unpaid. Um, we also, what I, I just did a quick search on that and uh, it looks like a lot of the, those workers are women. Um, as well. And, and in fact, working class women are who are taking over that, um, some of that responsibility. So I think that's just an interesting, that'll be a really interesting trend to watch um, to see where, to see where that's going to go. So I do think it's because it's considered a women, it's considered women's work um, is why we don't see more, more studies on that. Uh, but contrary to a wide gap in gender analysis of, you know, uh, shopping aspect, the preparation stage of food system, or as you put it in the book, the cooking aspect uh, has been studied a great deal within food studies, gender studies and feminist studies and so on. Uh, could you tell us a bit about how femininity and masculinity and uh, inequality regimes uh, structure this part of the food system, the cooking part. And I'm particularly interested in the notion of culinary femininity and culinary masculinity that you develop in the book. Uh, for those listeners who may not be familiar with these terms, could you briefly tell us about that too? Right. So it's the, I think the gendered characteristics that are, um, that are assumed um, by, these, by these roles in households. Uh, and so, um, you know, a culinary femininity um, uh, tends to exhibit features of, you know, caring and um, uh, nurturing and, you know, feeding others um, as part of the responsibility of um, the caregiver. Uh, whereas, you know, uh, a culinary masculinity um, takes on more characteristics such as adventurous, you know, trying new dishes or trying exotic or different kinds of, you know, meat often is a part of, of the culinary masculinity as well. Um, it's uh, often, you know, banning the, you know, banning the barbecue in the back um, or on the weekends or, you know, for special, um, special occasions rather than the kind of routine feeding labor, which is often part of a culinary femininity. And just like the, you know, preparation stage, the cooking stage, the consumption stage, the eating part is also gendered. Uh, I mean, the act of eating foods as individual as it may seem is heavily gendered, right? So what are some of these gendered aspects of food consumption? Yeah, so that was an interesting part to me to, to research because I hadn't really studied that and I also hadn't really thought of it um, in those terms. Um, but um, so um, you know how we eat, so women, you know, and you know, of course these are, you know, these are much more generalized stereotypes, but um, when you think about especially being in public and people looking at what you're eating or um you know, being in mixed company also makes a difference. Um, you know, women are more likely to eat light foods, salads, um, vegetables, you know, light meats, um, and, you know, less of it 
whereas men, you know, are supposed to have, you know, big appetites and heavy meals. And we know that this is also, you know, class and race also play a role in these different types of um, gendered eating processes. Um, but, um, but people then, you know, be, but you are judged on that often in, um, depending on the setting. Uh, so I think that's an interesting um, interesting part of the kind of the gendered system that it extends all the way down, like you said, to what seems to be an individual act, um, but but turns out to have right uh, a, a gender process behind it. It's interesting and it's fascinating. Uh, so before uh, talking about the conclusion of your book, uh, uh, I believe you wrote this book. Uh, just, I mean, the, the book was published just before uh, COVID hit us, right? Right, so exactly. I think that would have been uh, an aspect that you would have uh, discussed in the book uh, because it affects, you know, all these aspects of food system. Uh, but uh, have you been thinking about that and, um, you know, how that would affect the gendered aspect of all these food system, something like COVID? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, my colleague and I are are doing a longitudinal study on, um, you know, work under COVID, but just how people have responded to to COVID. And most of our participants are women. Um, And so we've had it. It's been an interesting, um, uh, you know, part of that, of course, is eating and food and um, you know, how COVID, um, you know, changed our perspective and our relationship to getting food and to eating food. Um, I know that there are the, the mothers in the study, right, just had this incredible layer of anxiety um, in terms of what they were feeding their kids or how they were getting their food or, um, you know, um, what they were eating it was interesting just how many people reverted to, and this is, you know, this is a study that we've been working on. So it's not, um, this, this isn't based in, you know, um, extensive scholarship, but just how people reverted to, um, comfort foods, Mm. um, you know, during their kind of confinement here. And, and I'm speaking of course, from the American perspective. So, um, but I do think, and this is where, um, thinking about gender, you know, who was, who was mandated to be, uh, you know, in the grocery store or, you know, in the restaurants, or it was, you know, mostly women in those kind of, you know, the clerk roles or in, um, you know, as a wait staff, you know, um, and so they had to be on the front lines, um, even though they might have families at home as well. Um, just how this, you know, again, how COVID might have exacerbated um, people's ability to feed their kids. Um, I know that, you know, in our area, and I live in a rural, much a rural area, um, without schools um, providing some of the food um, for households, um, people were really struggling, um, you know, if they were losing their jobs and then not having enough money. Um, so, so it really, I think, just exacerbated 
all of the, the issues that we saw, or at least that, um, that I tried to point out in, in that first study. And uh, most books on food nowadays, or at least the ones that I have come across, have a final chapter that deals with the future of food. And your book, Shelley, is not an exception for, in your conclusion, you have a section that is concerned with future research and activism. Uh, so what do we need to do uh, as academics or non-academics to address the problems that you discuss throughout the book with regard, with regard to uh, gender inequality that is uh, sort of prevalent in our current food system? I think that is just a great question. Um, and that's one that I've been struggling with, you know, since my first book is how do you address, well, of course you can't address any of these as individuals. And I, and I don't think we're even doing it. I think because first of all, we haven't acknowledged that gender is a problem. I think is one of the first, like we don't really see, um, even if you look at, um, you know, some folks that are doing food justice, which are, and they're doing great work. A lot of people are doing great work, um, but gender doesn't seem to be an important aspect of that, of that work. Um, so I think the first, you know, the first thing is to recognize that, um, that if you're going to address food insecurity, for example, right, you need to address, um, the fact that, you know, women, single mothers in particular, right, are disadvantaged in our economic system. So I think some of these questions go beyond the food system just to think about how do we provide social supports um, for all of the areas that affect um, people's ability to feed themselves and their families. Uh, so I think it's, it becomes a bigger political question. Um, I do get concerned, especially when you see so many nonprofits taking on some of these issues, and then certainly not in a gendered perspective, um, because they still are tied to, you know, particular funders. So I, I, one thing I, I guess I would suggest is that we have to find a way to start it at the grassroots. Um, and that I think is, is more difficult kind of in this climate. Um. There is obviously a lot uh, more in the book, and I encourage listeners to pick up a copy. But before we wrap up the interview, I'd like to ask uh, Shelley whether you're working on something right now, or are you thinking about doing your research on a particular topic in the near future, apart from uh, the one that you uh, just mentioned about uh, the project that you are working with your colleague on COVID? Yeah, so we're working on um, this kind of longitudinal um, uh, mixed methods um, research on COVID to see, uh, how people to, to think about, um, what happens when, uh, you know, society is disrupted, uh, and, and mm. what do people, how do people, um, respond to that? How do they get back to some kind of normal or stability? Because, you know, we're going to see a lot more of that, um, yes. with climate, with climate change and, and just kind of the disruptions, um, with continuing on with COVID, for example, um, the project that I really want to do is to, I'm really concerned about the lack of research on rural areas. Um, a lot of the, 
the, the um, work that's being done in food justice or on new programs takes is really uh, comes out of an urban setting. Um, and I think that rural areas are getting left behind in so many ways. Uh, so I'd really like to start by um, trying to get an understanding of where um, where women are uh, in terms of, you know, food, um, but also just where they are in terms of their um, their ability to affect their community. So I'm thinking I'd like to start uh, at the grassroots level and and talk to women in rural areas um, to see, you know, how can we start to build um, build these different um, types of um, groups that can that can work from the the ground up. So that's what I'm interested in. Mm. Uh, that sounds like a very interesting project. If uh, you started, I'm very important too. Uh, do you have any further comments? Anything you want to add, Shelley? Um, no, I don't think so at this at this at this time. Okay, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show and speaking with me today and sharing your insight and your uh, amazing work uh, with our listeners. I really enjoyed uh, reading it, but I enjoyed it even more so uh, talking to you about it. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Shelley. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.